Inform, inspire, and evolve. Welcome to Creating Community for Good, a podcast dedicated to philanthropy, the love of humankind. Join host Lindsay Simons in a friendly conversation about contributing to good as we bring together community, positivity, and energy to the business of generosity. Welcome your host, Lindsay Simons. Hi, everybody. So excited you're joining us today. I'm thrilled to bring my guests on and have a conversation with you today about what it means to be a woman of color in leadership, how to support women through philanthropy. She's a CEO. She's a pioneer. She's a TEDx presenter, MSNBC guest, wife, mother, friend, daughter, amazing woman, influencer, and I have the utmost respect for her. Welcome everybody to the show, Creating Community for Good with Nicole Collins-Purry. Nicole, welcome. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy that you joined us. And Nicole, you and I met, I think it was six years ago, something like that. We were both in San Francisco and working in the space of fundraising and nonprofit management. And you joined TechBridge Girls for Girls. Um, shortly thereafter. And you have just shaped and formed that organization in a way that one would never have expected. I'd love for you to just share with us what it was like when you joined and where you've taken it today and give us a context for your leadership as a CEO of a now national organization. Well, thank you, Lindsay. And first, I want to say thank you to you because you were some of the first individuals that just poured into my spirit when I transitioned to California, trying to find my way in this new place and space of nonprofit world. And you being able to extend your network and your connections to me to continue to leverage my opportunities and ability to actually put me in this place of becoming the CEO of TechBridge Girls. I just want to say Thank you. It's been a pleasure to stay connected with you. It's really um, kind of you to say thank you. The feeling is mutual. I've really enjoyed our relationship. So thanks for saying yeah. that. Of course. Of course. My pleasure. TechBridge Girls has been around for 20 years and I am not the founder. Our fearless leader, Callis, found organization over 20 years ago with really just a curiosity and commitment to saying, why are girls not in these STEM enrichment programs? You know, every day she would go with her son to his STEM programming and not see any girls and was like, why is this happening? What is the data that is saying girls are not interested in STEM education? And her being an academic herself wanted to create that actual data to prove that either girls are just not interested in the subject or something else is going on. And what she found very clearly was that something else was going on. It's not that girls are not interested in STEM education, it's that we've created an environment, experiences and exposures that don't show or make them feel like they belong in STEM education. And so she wanted to rewrite that story. And rewriting that story birthed the organization called TechBridge Girls. And we believe in the economic promise that a STEM education and career can provide for girls from marginalized communities. And we provide high quality out of school time programming in after school spaces or through our annual conferences across the country. We're equipping and training educators or families or role models with the tools that they need to actually support a girl's persistence into a STEM career. 
I love it. Uh, that's so well said and highly impactful. Tell us about some of the stats of impact. I know that you guys have really seen change and progress in this space. Yeah, TechBridge Girls has been a National Science Foundation grantee for over 15 years. And because of that, our evaluation is extremely rigorous. So we every year provide annual evaluation on our programming. And we've done longitudinal studies as well to show what has been the impact over a decade of time on our girls. So for us, we've served over 70,000 youth through our after-school programming or training of educators. We've served directly over 8,000 girls with our after-school programming. And what we've seen is that, number one, our girls are twice more likely than the national average to pursue a STEM career. And these are girls coming from what we call or what is defined as Title I school districts. These girls are going to schools that 75% or more of the students are on a free or reduced lunch program or their family household income is less than $40,000 a year. And 85% of our participants are Latinx or African-American, or we have a high rising population of immigrant girls who are coming to our programming. So for us to know that our girls are twice more likely than the national average to pursue STEM careers with the barriers that they are realizing in their everyday pursuit, that is a huge, huge success for us. We also know that our girls are more likely to pursue an AP calculus course. And when they actually get into those courses, they're performing higher in their grades. And our girls are graduating at a higher rate. So our longitudinal study that looked at a decade of our work really shows the impact and influence that a TechBridge Girls program has had on our girls' trajectory towards STEM success. That's so wonderful. I've loved watching your success and the impact you've had on youth over the years. Thank you for your service. And as a leader, you are not only managing the program, but you're managing fundraising, you're managing donor relations, you're managing board members, you're managing PR, communications, operations, keeping the lights on, paying the bills, being the last where the buck stops. What is it like to be the CEO, Nicole? I mean, you are powerhouse and you're still so young. And (laughs) I mean, I don't want to discredit you at all by calling you young, but you are high, high functioning at a young age. There's such incredible management and vision that I see you juggling at any given moment. What's it like for you? And tell us about like a day in the life, Nicole. Well, first I want to give homage to my grandmother because she set the genes in our family of leaving us look so young. (laughs) A lot of people think I am very much younger than I actually am. What are you, 24 or something like that? (laughs) I wish, times two. (laughs) Um, (laughs) But it is a blessing. So I always homage to her and the genes that she has passed on to us. But first of all, I have to say, I love being a CEO. When folks told me about what to expect, I actually did not want to fully give in to all of the negative aspects of it. Feeling lonely, not balancing time and personal time with professional time, always feeling like you are just running out of time, not having enough resources and always working from a place of scarcity, not being able to really have a strong network to support and encourage you along the way. And so 
I remember folks giving me that feedback and, and I can see, you know, now three and a half years in where those aspects can be very real. But I think for me, I've been very intentional about not making those real. When I think about the leadership team that I have in the organization, I feel like that is a collaborative partnership of amazing minds that support one another and let me be me. Each of our, my leaders make me feel like a person and versus a title. And I think that's an important piece that often, especially staff can forget, is that we're people first. Yes, the title comes with a level of privilege and a level of stress and angst or expectations, but we are just people. And it's important, especially as a woman of color, to know that the, the person I am is shaped by the experiences that I have. And even though things can feel like I am overly high performing or doing a lot of great things, like I cannot be measured with this unreasonable expectation of perfection. And so I think being able to have a team that sees me in that light allows me to be vulnerable and make mistakes and not kind of remind me of them or make that mistake be the epitome or the trajectory of anything else that I do has definitely shaped. You know, my faith is very strong. I'm a Christian. And so I believe very highly that I am guided by my Holy Spirit, my intuition, to always make sure that I'm making the best decisions for not only myself, but the people that I impact and the people that are around me. I'm not scared of feedback, right? And actually welcome it. And so that's the only place that I have the opportunity to learn and to grow and be reflective in my leadership. So being able to be in a place where I try to create openness for people at any level of the organization or any stakeholder, no matter if it's a funder or a board member, to really warrant their and solicit their feedback, insights about what they've observed about me or with me in partnership with me so that I can continue to grow. And then I think the last is just the ability to be humble, right? You're given this title that does come with privilege and expectations, but you're not here because of your own fruition, right? Like you are here because you are standing on the shoulders of other folks that allowed you to utilize this amazing platform called TechBridge Girls to elevate a message to be able to serve more girls that you know and believe can exist and lead and thrive in this thing called a STEM industry. And so for me, that has been really, really important to keep me grounded, but also keep me excited about being in this role as a CEO. That's so well said, Nicole. Thank you so much for sharing that. Yeah, thank you. You spoke to this a little bit earlier. I want to zero in on being a woman of color in leadership. Can you speak to your experience and what does that mean to you? What does it mean to be a woman of color in leadership in philanthropy? How does that impact your engagement with different funders or peer nonprofits? How does it impact you? Yeah, I would say it's a constant dance of so many different elements. Because one, on one hand, I'm trying to redefine the expectations and the realities 
of what it is to be a woman of color, mm. meaning you hear often that, and it's very true, our level of mistakes are very narrow that we can make. We do have to operate almost in a place of perfection. There is a kind of triple tax in mm. which I have to live by. Not only do I have to dot every I, I need to make sure that I is so straight that there is nothing wrong with it. And so that is real. And that is the dance of kind of always proving that I should be in this role. But then on the flip side, I don't want that for the next generation of Black girl CEOs that will follow behind me because, again, it's an unrealistic expectation that nobody should be held to a standard to. And so how do I have the courage and bravery to flex vulnerability knowing that the reality is what it is, but trying to break through a new type of leadership? so that individuals understand what it actually takes for a woman of color to be a CEO, but to be able to show up truly authentically in her leadership. And so it's a dance for me because I want to rewrite a new story for the next CEO that looked like me or has the experience of me, but I also have to do it in a reality that doesn't give me a lot of grace to be that vulnerable so that I can truly be authentic in all the things, in all the ways that I believe will be beneficial to this next generation of leaders. So I say it's, it's a dance and it has been a great learning experience for me because I didn't realize I was actually probably doing this dance for most of my life. I mean, I knew I was doing it, but I didn't have language for it. Mm. And now that I have this opportunity to kind of rewrite a narrative or rewrite an expectation or a standard for the next generation that'll follow, there is a little bit more intentionality that I understand in my actions, in my behavior, in the way in which I show up every day with this title. Mm. Well said. Thank you for sharing that. And I think we could have a much longer conversation around that as well. I have a few other questions I want to be sure that our listeners get a chance to hear, but I appreciate your perspective and would say that it's a graceful dance that you're doing and your leadership is really what it takes for the next generation to be authentic and to show up and, you know, to admit to any of your shortcomings with your staff and hold up your head high when you have to put on a show. You can do that too. And you can be that authentic person. And perhaps it's just a dance, as you said. And I think it just takes more and more women like you or people of color or minorities to just be in that role and to just stand tall and just do it as opposed to making it look perfect, picture perfect. It's not meant to be a cover girl situation where you've got to be, your eye has to be perfectly straight and the dot has to be perfectly aligned over it. That is the way it may feel now. But the idea that I want to convey is how important it is for you to just continue to go down that path because it will forge the path for others. As you know very well, I just wanted to reaffirm that and support you in that and say how much we respect and need people like you in the world to lead the way for diversity of thought and perspective, heritage, color, rationale, religion, nationality, everything. So diversity is so important to our space of impact. I was curious to know what your thoughts are 
about expanding your organization in a totally different track. Um, the organization was local in the Bay Area, and then you had a merger and acquisition. Can you talk to us about what were the sequence of events and where are you today? Sure. And what was it like to expand in that way? Yeah, well, there was an actual mid-step between that. So TechBridge Girls was founded in Oakland, California, and that's where our headquarters is. In about 2014-15, we received a grant from the National Science Foundation to expand our after-school programming nationally so that we could understand the fidelity of our model and our pedagogy. And so with that grant, we expanded our after-school programming in Seattle, Washington, as well as Washington, D.C. And what we've done, and we actually just completed our five-year scale-up report from that investment from National Science Foundation, is that there was clear fidelity of impact based on what we had been doing for 15 years in Oakland, California, to what we have done now in Seattle, Washington, and Washington, D.C. Wow. So this has proven that our model work, it is replicable, and it has the ability to have the same type of impact no matter what type of environment in which you decide to put it in. So that work had really allowed us to say, okay, what we have in this model is really effective, but there are constraints to our model, and funding is one of those because our model is extremely intensive and immersive, where we go in and we're supporting a girl in a very holistic perspective that is really engaging the entire ecosystem around a girl's ability to persist into a STEM career. So what we had to think about when I came in the organization is like, what is our secret sauce? What are the elements of our secret sauce? And then are those elements able to be scaled in different models or vehicles for delivery. And one area that we know of that has been able to do that is when we go and train other educators in the out-of-school time space. So we take our practices within equitable STEM practices, hands-on enrichment activities, connections with the next generation science standards, career exploration, role model engagement, those core elements and say, okay, if we can teach other educators who are going to do STEM enrichment anyway, those core elements of effectiveness, can they start to see the type of impact that we've seen in our after-school programming? And we started to see that. So in our elementary school program, we literally handed over our curriculum to in-school teachers that provide after-school programming and said, deliver a Tech Rich Girls program. And we have seen the same fidelity with their delivery versus our own staff delivering the program. We've trained them, we've given them the curriculum, et cetera. So that step even expanded our understanding that we really do have something really effective and we can scale. But it still was very limiting on the level of urgency that we feel that we're in right now. So stats everywhere are telling us 80% of jobs will require STEM skills in the next 10 years. We serve explicitly girls from marginalized communities that experience economic insecurity. 
that are dealing with access to even quality STEM enrichment programming. So how can we get to those girls faster with this understanding of urgency that has been laid out before us? So the partnership, which was literally an acquisition of assets with Expanding Your Horizons Network, who is a 45-year girl-serving STEM organization that provides annual one-day STEM conferences throughout the country, 43 states as well as globally, to girls largely in their local community. They bring together hundreds of volunteers, hundreds of girls, industry partners, higher ed institutions to deliver this one day amazing experience for girls around STEM. Partnering with them or combining forces with them really made sense because number one, we had philosophical alignment of our values and our approach. But two, we had the ability to meet each other's gaps, right? I needed a cost-effective model to get to more girls quicker. Their model is grassroots, jumpstart, low-cost, volunteer-led. They needed deeper understanding around how to outreach and engage girls from marginalized communities, as well as understanding the importance of equitable STEM enrichment. That's what TechBridge grows. So the combining of those two forces together literally now gives us a catalyst to really realize our bold goal to serve a million girls by 2030, which would make a dent in the 80% of jobs that will require STEM skills, putting our girls front and center in those opportunities. You give me chills. Nicole, I I just have to pause and say, like, you are so fluent in everything you're delivering. There's not a pause. Just tell us about like your CEO mentality that creates such a powerful and clear case for support in every response. I'm super passionate about this. I am one of those TechBridge girls, but instead of having a program like TechBridge girls, I was just told that I wasn't good at math and science. So for me, this is little Nicole like literally standing on a platform saying, you forgot about me. And now I don't want any girl to be forgotten because you told me what I could not do. And so for me, this is heart work. This is not only mending, hopefully, the hearts of girls who now feel like they have a possibility of a future that they could have never imagined, but this is mending a heart of me of that was broken of my trajectory. Who knows what I could have been if somebody said, you know, you were an athlete, so you know what practice means, right? You know that you just have to keep practicing math and science, and one day you'll get better at it, but stick to it, just like I stuck to my athletic ability. But nobody ever told me that. So for me, this is extremely passionate work. This is extremely real for me. And I just don't feel like we have any time to play around with the lives of girls that have a possibility to change their trajectory. I drop. I don't know what to say. I'm so humbled. I'm, I literally have had chills. Um, I believe that my work is heart work as well and that there's so much passion and commitment to my service. So I resonate with what you're saying and I commend you and whatever I can do to fuel you and continue to create space for your heart to grow and to sing and to touch other hearts. 
I will do that. Let me know however I can do that. I love what you've said. Thank you for sharing that. What's your vision for the future? What needs to, what do you like? What do you wish? What do you hope for? What's happening in the horizon in the next 30 years? That's a big goal you've got, your 10-year goal by 2030 to reach how many million? A one million one girl. million girls. My team, as a nonprofit leader, you always have to have big vision. You do. You because you well, have otherwise... to have something to shoot for. That's right. Exactly. You have to have something to shoot for. And I think that it's not only just shooting for the stars, but it's setting the table to get there. Yes. And I think that for the past three years, I've been helping the organization in partnership with this organization to set the table that this is not just shooting this to the stars, but we actually have strategies in place to get there. And so for me, I think a million girls by 2030 is just scratching the surface. I think that we have all of the plans and strategies in place to get there. And now we just have to execute on them. And that means resources from funders. That means new partnerships. That means staff and team with competencies and the capacities to do this this work moving forward, but we can get there. And so I look forward to the vision that we believe is that our girls from our communities can achieve the economic promise that a STEM career can provide. And not only does she have a seat in this industry, but she's thriving and leading and staying in the industry, redefining this industry, changing the industry in which it needs to be to support, just like me, supporting and changing what it is and what it takes to be a woman of color just to have the title of CEO. It takes a lot for a girl of color, a girl from a low-income community to thrive in a STEM career. The fact that she's even gotten to the job is huge. Yeah. And so we have to honor that and honor the fact that, yes, she may not come from an Ivy League school, but she brings so much more than that. Because I just read an article that talked about struggle as an asset. And I was like, yes. (laughs) Like, can we literally put some points on a struggle? Like, struggle is real. Like, hashtag, really, struggle is real. And for our girls to be able to actually show up in those spaces, they have exceeded any expectation of grit and resilience and perseverance than anybody could ever even ask for in those roles or in those positions. And how those lessons can be applied to the boardroom and to the negotiation and to the vision setting, this path forward. I love that. I had an idea about a question that is just escaping me now. Oh, my question to you, Nicole, is you have a bold vision. What's it going to take to get there? What's the philanthropic need? And what is it like for you as a woman of color to be asking primarily it's men and women that are white who have the uber high net wealth in America? We have seen some tremendous growth in statistics where there are African-American, Latino, minority families who are philanthropic and leading the charge. But for the majority, you're talking to a room of white people in many cases. Mm -hmm. What is that like for you? How can we support you? What do you ask the listeners to hear and chew on as they go about their day? 
With the asset acquisition of Expanding Your Horizons Network, we've estimated this to be about a $2 million investment over a three-year time frame. Year one, which we're in right now, is really about learning, observing, creating the systems and infrastructure to really build a sustainable model that will have the ability to even grow further than what we've already acquired. Year two is really about piloting and starting to infuse the TechBridge Girls model and insights and expertise into the current structure by really making shifts and modifications to the model so that it is expanding to girls from marginalized communities, but also equipping the volunteers with kind of effective, equitable practice in STEM enrichment. And then third year is full-blown launch. So making sure systems, technology, structure, staffing is all in place for us to fully roll this out, not only to the current network, but also prepare to acquire new networks and new conferences coming into the fold. So we are very clear about what is needed and the strategies that need to be in place in order to launch this effectively and not just look at this as a one-time hit. Like I bought a model that is going to be a catalyst and accelerator to not only sustain where we are, but to grow exponentially where we want to go. So it's really about putting all those infrastructure systems in place as well as making sure we're not moving back too fast, that we are missing the legacy and the 45-year history of this organization and making sure our, we're being humble in that process as well. So that's from the investment perspective of where we're going with this and what is actually needed to get us there. I love it. And just out of curiosity, what have you done to actually put that into place? Did you do a long strategic planning process? Did you have board buy-in? Was this really your vision. Um, Just tell us about behind the scenes. And a lot of the audience is going to be in the space of trying to figure out how do they create that clarity and vision for themselves as well. Sure. So I would say this came three years ago. The asset acquisition is a tactic to me. It's not the overarching strategy. Three years ago, we embarked on a strategic plan for the organization Mm -hmm. that really defined How could we, number one, even realize a bold goal like a million girls by 2030? What are the key strategies that have to be in place in order to do that? Number one, we need to be very clear about our why. We need to be very clear about the products or the services or the programming that we have to be able to execute on that why. Number three, we have to have a solid and foundational, stable organization. So diversified funding, partners to help us carry this work, strong board engagement and a strong board. So all of those things were very part and critical in our first three-year strategic plan. So we're in our third year of that strategic plan. Mm -hmm. Earlier this year, we said, okay, we've created and defined and clarified all of the things that we needed to do in our strategic plan when we first went about this. We know our why, we know our what, we're very clear about our who, we are stabilized as an organization now. So now we have all these exciting things. We now know how to scale this 20-year program that we've been doing in the after-school model, and we know what our secret sauce is. We have this amazing board that allows us to like expand across the country and are very strategic and thought partners in our 
vision going forward. We have this strong messaging around economic opportunity and who we're actually doing this work for that really separates us from the field and creates a new value proposition infused in the discussion. So now I took the organization in March through a theory of change. That was going to give us clarity about, okay, we are at a pivotal moment organization. We can't keep doing everything that we've been doing. We got to get really refined on what we do. And that theory of change has enabled us to get clarity about what does it take for our girls to persist successfully to a STEM career that will lead to this economic opportunity and promise that the STEM career provides. So we've done all of that work, and now the theory of change sets as a foundation for our next strategic plan, which we just kicked off this Mm -hmm. month. So we have been very intentional and very methodical about how we are ordering the steps in this organization to create impactful, but also sustainable change, not only for the organization, but for the girls in which we are looking to serve. Mm, That's wonderful. Thank you for summarizing that. Sounds like a very deliberate path that you're on. Speaking of boards, can you speak to your board engagement? What has it been like? How big is your board? What do you think is the ideal board? Key roles, responsibilities, what's really worked for you? Sure. What's really worked for board development and board engagement was really looking at a board as a partner, a partner that is able to fill a gap, create influence, provide resources, and literally take the organization collective vision to its next level. And my evolution has been a learning journey. When I first came in the organization, of course, it was the board that hired me. And the reality was, is our board was tired. I mean, a CEO search is really time consuming. And it was also during a time that the organization was in a challenging financial state. And so you had the hiring of a new CEO, but also the loss of some major funding resources in the organization. And so it's kind of a combination of a really challenging time. And so as I came in, a lot of our board members, bless their heart, kind of stuck around, like just be able to get me through the year mark. And then they were like, okay, (laughs) you did it. (laughs) It's time to transition. And I appreciate their commitment and passion and just dedication to kind of keep the wheels on the bus till my feet got solid. But then it was really about recreating a whole entire new board. So I, at one point, got down to three board members, and now we're at 11 over a three-year time frame. And I feel the board that we have now is literally that vision that I had for a board was a partner that enables me to fill critical gaps and blind spots that myself and or the organization has that could potentially prevent us of elevating to our next chapter. And every one of our board members, I can literally say what gap that they fill 
and how they are allowing us to elevate at a whole different level than we had ever imagined. Hmm. Is 11 enough? Is 11 more no. enough? No. <laughs> I, I think it's a little small nowadays. I'm yeah. seeing much bigger boards. What's your dream board size? I think, to be very honest, I always envisioned a board between 12 and 15. That feels right to me, especially Mm -hmm. now as a national organization that has programming presence in 43 states. 43 states. Oh my gosh. You need buy-in from all over the country, I imagine. That's exactly right. And so being able to have board members that have contacts around regional experience and contacts is really, really important. And so I hope to grow the board at least over the next couple of years with a couple more. The majority of our board is under three years tenure. Mm-hmm. So I also want us to make sure that we're defining, defining the culture that we want to have and the type of board we want to be as well. So mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah. Okay. I would just say that that's then just a plug to anybody who's listening because you can see that Nicole is such an incredible leader. And if you're looking for a leadership opportunity on a board, I would say this is a good place to go (laughs) all across the country. Your headquarters is in Oakland, California, but you've now moved to near Philadelphia. Yes, yes. So I. So where are you looking for people? Yeah, we always are looking for people throughout the country. Currently, we have board members in Seattle, Washington, Mm -hmm. Washington, D.C., of course, the Bay Area, Chicago. Mm -hmm. We also have Florida and Detroit area. I would love to get board members in a little bit more in the Midwest, as Mm -hmm. well as in South, specifically Mm -hmm. in the Texas region. I would also be excited to have a board member from the Northeast region Mm -hmm. because it's kind of serendipitous that I am physically living Mm -hmm. on the East Coast, but I am actually Mm -hmm. bi-coastal because I am back and forth quite often. But because Washington, D.C. was our youngest scale of our actual brick and mortar office, I really want us to grow the the Eastern Coast as we've done on the West Coast. Mm -hmm. And so I would love to be able to have a thought partner here to help us think about that. Well, there are plenty of brilliant minds there that I'm sure would love to join you. So there is a plug for you that I don't always do, but I just really (laughs) want to make a point. Nicole, we are wrapping up. What have I not asked you about that I should have asked you about? What have you asked me about? What have I not? What is like, what's missing? Anything else you want to say or talk about? Well, I think one of the things that it's really important, especially thinking about your audience, especially as a nonprofit leader and also understanding the philanthropic space. So before I got the privilege to lead uh, TechBridge Girls, I was also a program officer at the Women's Foundation of California. So I have a really strong insight about what's happening in philanthropy. And I think it is opportunity and a pivotal time for philanthropy to really think about what impact and what movement does it really wanna fuel. And being able to give the leaders who are on the ground serving their respective communities the leeway to define how those investments and resources need to be invested or allocated. 
I think for many times we experience in nonprofit that we're always trying to fit into the vision or strategy of the funder. Whereas it is an opportunity, especially I think in STEM space, STEM education space, is that we are all moving the same needle. Mm. We may have different approaches on how to do it, but we're ultimately moving the same needle. And for me, I feel with all of the chatter and news and public discourse around STEM education, the needle is not moving fast enough for me, Mm. and especially not for our girls. So I want to just say, like, let's empower our nonprofit leaders to really guide you on where the resources are most effectively needed. Because people would tell me all the time, I need to do more STEM education. But actually, that's not where our focus needs to be. Mm. Our focus needs to be about removing the barriers that are preventing our girls access to STEM education. Interesting. Right. And so I don't necessarily need to do another after school program. But what I do need to do is make sure educators have the right training and resources and pedagogy and curriculum so that when they give STEM enrichment, they're actually providing quality access to our girls from our community or our families. Like I need to be talking with our families and engaging and connecting with our families. That takes a lot of resources time, capacity, and people to do it, Mm. to make sure that our families understand that they're a critical influencer to our girls' pursuit, to a STEM education. There is nothing wrong with STEM education. STEM education is not making our girls feel that they don't belong, or they're not good enough, or they don't, are not part of this industry. It's all of the things that are surrounding the systems. You want a systems change. change, right? Yeah. And that is often harder to quantify, Mm. to track, to evaluate, Mm. to measure. Mm. But those are the resources. But we can do it if we actually get the resources to do it. Hmm. But they're not always the first resources that funders are often willing to put investment in. Interesting. So I just leave that to think about when you're working with marginalized communities, disenfranchised communities, really think about the systems that are preventing or the barriers that are preventing our girl to why that program even exists. Hmm. And let's put more investment there in addition to the program, because that's the tactic, right? But sometimes it takes the things before the tactic that needs the investment to actually move the needle. I love that. And I love how you're defining strategy versus tactics. And they are different. Nicole, this has been so wonderful. Thank you for being a phenomenal guest. You have so much to offer and so much for all of us to learn from. What's the best way to get in touch with you or to learn more about the organization? Sure. We encourage everybody to visit our website at techbridgegirls.org or follow us on social media. We're on Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter at TechBridge Girls. You can also follow me at Nicole with a K, C, Pori on Twitter, as well as find me on all social media venues and, and outlets. So I hope you follow us. I hope you learn more about our great work and hopefully invest in the future of a million girls who will mm-hmm. lead and thrive in STEM. Yes, I love it. 
One final question is, is there one shout out that you'd give to any one person or thought or organization or company? Any shout out to spread the love? I want to spread the love to the TechBridge Girls family, staff, board, longtime funders who continue to allow us to do this mission work. It has been a privilege and honor, and I'm humbled by the opportunity to lead this organization, and I could not be an ounce of me without each of you. So thank you. I'm just extremely grateful for all of your commitment, dedication, passion, and trust in me with leading us forward. Can't end with anything better than that. (laughs) Thank you, Nicole. Thank you, Lindsay. My pleasure. You're so wonderful. With this latest valuable episode, we'd love to thank you for joining us on the Creating Community for Good podcast. If you found today's show valuable, simply visit our website, creatingcommunityforgood.com to leave a review as well as to get access to additional resources and relevant links from this show. Stay tuned for more episodes.